This episode is sponsored by Paleo Valley. Paleo Valley's meat sticks have been a lifesaver during this hot summer. Since they're shelf stable, I always have three Paleo Valley meat sticks in my bag at all times. It's also been perfect for my boys' lunch boxes. I love Paleo Valley's grass finished beef sticks and pasture raised turkey sticks because they support US family farmers that focus on regenerative agriculture. These meat sticks are from animals that have never been fed grains, soy, corn, or GMOs and have never been given antibiotics. The spices in these meat sticks are also 100% organic. The sticks come in five different flavors, and my favorite is the original beef stick, and my boys love the teriyaki beef sticks and the original pasture raised turkey stick. Paleo Valley's meat sticks are a perfect snack and, frankly, a great value without skimping on quality. Each stick is about $2 with our discount code, and it comes in a 10 pack bag. Make sure to support this podcast and head over to paleovalley.comslash CATG and use code CATG to get 15% off your first order. Thanks for listening and supporting the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. This episode of Cutting Against the Grain podcast is brought to you by Meter Bluetooth Meat Thermometer. One of the hardest things for me in switching to a mostly meat diet was learning how to cook meat properly. Once I figured out that internal cooking temperatures were the key to mastering any cut of meat, everything made sense. To cook meat properly, it's important to have a quality meat thermometer. Our family has used Meter Bluetooth Meat Thermometer for many years. It takes all the guesswork out of cooking any meat, things in your oven, your stovetop, air fryer, smoker, your crock pot, any cooking method under 527 degrees Fahrenheit. There's no guesswork. The app lets you know exactly how long it needs to be cooked, when to take it off the meat, and how long to let it rest to ensure you have a perfectly cooked piece of meat every single time. This is a product I have personally used for many years, and I'm excited to partner with them now to be able to offer you a 10% off discount code for any of their meter products with code LAURA10. Just go to meater.com and use code LAURA10. Thanks so much for listening and supporting our podcast. Let's get back to the show. Laura and I are just going to be talking really candid. This is what this podcast is all about. It- It's one thing to say, I want to eat something else that's not meat. It's a whole nother thing to say, you need to eat something else that's not meat. If you notice that you're jumping from diet to diet, at a certain point, you have to wonder the only common denominator is me. Get outside, go for a walk, get some vitamin D, breathe some fresh air, uh, and and stay happy and healthy and and take care of yourselves. Let's just have some real talk. Welcome to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Welcome back to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. My name is Laura Spath, and I am joined by my amazing friend and co-host, Judy Cho. Judy, this is our 20th episode of Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Wow, it's already been 20. That's pretty crazy. It's gone pretty fast. 20 times sitting in our closet <laughs> <laughs> recording where you guys can't see our disastrous mess. Um, we're so excited. Thank you so much for being here. We wanted to take some time today on this episode to answer some questions. We have um, questions in a couple categories. We have nutrition questions and then also some more lifestyle or mindset questions. 
And then at the end, we are going to read some of the reviews that you've left us, which are always appreciated. If you want to check out the questions that we're going to be answering, you can look at the show notes to maybe bounce around to the ones that are most applicable to you. But as always, everything we talk about is entertaining and informational. So you might as well just stick around. (laughs) Um, Let's start off with some of the lifestyle questions, and then we'll move into the um, nutrition questions. Yeah, that sounds good. So this was an interesting question. Somebody said, do you ever feel like people try carnivore just because it's the in thing um, or like the popular thing? And maybe, sure. I don't know. What do you like? I, I think probably yes, but I also think that's a great thing. Like who cares? Like why is that necessarily? Uh, it's okay to be trendy. This is not like the cool band that you found out about before anybody else did. And now you don't like it anymore because it's super popular. Um, you can still like carnivore, even though it's a popular in thing. Yeah. I mean, I think the fact that protein is becoming like the favorite in macro is a good thing um, in terms of getting meat to be popular. Um, but I actually see that carnivore is on the decline, but maybe it's not. Maybe in the bigger scheme of things, it's actually still really popular. But regardless, yeah, I mean, I never really thought about it, but it's it's a good thing. Um, I think even if it's trendy, um, as long as it helps people to heal, I think it's good. I do think, I think you're right, though. Outside of our little world, it's most people still have never heard of it. It's not like as common. If you talk about keto, everybody has heard of keto, but if you're talking about carnivore outside of this tiny little community, which feels very big when you're in it and you're consuming this content all day long, it feels so big. But I do think outside of here, um, it still is not something that's known, but I think you're right that the fact that protein is being popularized and that we're pushing for this, like that's what makes me optimistic and hopeful for the future and for nutrition for when we are hopefully rewriting the dietary guidelines in the future and the way that the, you know, plant-based movement is trying to come up. Like the fact that protein is the most popular thing right now on a bigger scale that I am very hopeful for. And so that makes me excited more than anything. Yeah, I, I totally agree. So how do you think that people should get started on carnivore uh, after some kind of big slip up? I think we've talked about this on a previous, maybe it was a cheating podcast, but I mean, I know people want to go all in and then say, okay, I've had like a slip up this weekend or I've eaten all different kinds of foods outside of a meat-based diet. But I think the best thing really to do is just eat sufficiently, eat your favorite meats, eat tons of fat. And then once you are... I guess back in a ketogenic state, then you can see if you can pull levers of fasting, fine tuning your macros. So if you want to do like protein sparing modified fast one day to maybe lose some weight, fine. But in general, I think just get the junk out of your house. Um, Make sure that there's not any foods that are tempting that are non-negotiables in your house. And then from there, just eat a plethora of meat. Yeah, I think it's just about it's not, there's no big reset. You don't have to have a big thing. You don't have to make these grand commitments. You just start with the next meal. You start with what's your next step. What's the next thing that you're going to eat that's nutritious. Maybe this is because I have small children in my house, but all I can think about is the frozen song of the next right thing. (laughs) And so, um, there, if you haven't seen frozen two, then you don't know what I'm talking about, but, um, that song in frozen two always just talks about, sometimes you just have to do the next right thing. Like, You don't know what forever is going to look like. You don't know what the next big thing is. You don't know what your 30 day plan is, but the next thing I'm going to eat is going to be protein and it's going to be meat and it's not going to be sugar. And like, 
I'm just going to do the next right thing. Um, and somebody else had asked, what do you do when your brain tells you to eat off plan 5,672 <laughs> times in one day? Girl, I have been there. I feel you. And that's it. We're going to frozen to it. We're going to do the next right thing. We're going to just take one moment at a time. And I think the exhausting thing about that when it's 5,672 times in one day, like you have to make a decision to say no 5,672 times. And it's so much easier to just say yes at some point and to cave. But, you know, when you get past that day, you will not regret it. I promise you. And so, you know, find a way to get yourself distracted, find a way to listen to a podcast. Maybe that's what you're doing right now. You're going for a walk, you're getting away from the kitchen and you're listening to us try to help get you motivated. And so it's, you know, try to turn your brain onto something else so it will stop asking you to eat something bad during that time. One thing I'll say is um, I do have clients that will have these cravings for days. And so at a certain point, I do think it may be a healthy habit. And this is not giving permission to people just to hey venture off because you've had a craving for a while. But there is an option where you can do mindful eating. Um, and so with some of my clients that have had a craving for several weeks, I'll say maybe you want to try um, eating off plan for whatever that is. Let's say it's um, a donut. It'll be very strategic and very methodical and mindful of doing this whole kind of eating. But you get it, you get one, and then you will eat and you'll just kind of document everything you're feeling. And I know most of us don't want to do that when we're eating off plan, but it's intentional to do this so that then you're very aware, okay, so where's your mood? Where's your hunger scale? Where's your emotions? And you kind of document all of that. And then while you're eating it, while it's on your tongue, while you're just thinking of um, the food in your system, then you think of, well, how does this make me feel? You know, do you have anxiety? And then you go through all of the emotions to figure out, okay, so I've had this craving for a while. What was it? And was it as good as the um, desire that you had? And then how do you feel the next day? Right. And so when you go through that process, one, it kind of uh, ruins the whole magical desires of wanting to cave into these uh, cheats. But then it also just makes it very normal. And then maybe the next time you're going through it, you'll remember, oh, no, last time I had this, I felt like crap. I had to go through um, a day of brain fog and tiredness and um, and it wasn't worth it. And you'll remember that and you could even read the notes that you wrote the next time around. So sometimes I have my clients do that um, in terms of a habitual thing, just in case cravings keep coming up. And it might actually be some type of nutritional deficiency. It could just be you're not eating enough fat with your uh, lean meats. And then that may cause a craving for a junky food that has some fat in it. So all of that is very methodical again, but it'll help um, figure out what's going on. I also find that cravings increase for me when I am not eating my favorite meats. So if I'm traveling or I'm trying to, you know, eat quick or on the go. And I'm not just having like a really fresh grilled, delicious ribeye cooked exactly like I like it. Then I just start getting like antsy for something that's going to make me feel good and taste good and have this wonderful emotional connection to my meal. I can get that the way that I used to from cake. I can get that with a steak, sure, but I can't get that if I've been you know, traveling and eating burger patties and eating chicken. And, you know, like I I went on a trip last week. I think I had wings five times and I love wings as much as the next person. But by the end of the week, I was just dying at 
all the other junk food that people around me were eating. Um, and I just, all I wanted was junk, but a steak also satisfied that craving, like coming home, having a fresh grilled steak and being able to really enjoy my meal. And then, like you said, probably I was missing a lot of fat, just trying to eat cheap on the road. Um, and so those things really helped bring my mindset back into place as well. So, um, you know, treat yourself and splurge a little bit rather than splurging on some fast food or some sweets, splurge on a really nice, amazing steak or, um, a treat of a piece of meat that you maybe wouldn't normally have. And I think that also can help a couple more lifestyle questions, and then we'll move on to nutrition. Um, how do I get my husband on board or get family to be supportive? I think that's, I think you can't, I think that's the hard part is you can't. What do you think? Kevin was very anti-carnivore when he first heard me wanting to do it. And then um, probably a year in, he was completely a fan just because he saw such a big change in me. And so um, I always tell people lead by example, right? So if you want your husband to change so that he can eat carnivore for his own health, then the best thing is to be a great example and show the healing through you, your mental health, your physical health. But if it's more supportive that you can eat this way and you want him to just kind of leave you alone, you know, there there will be jabs, there will be comments here and there, but you just have to know that, hey, I'm going into this um, and I know the benefits that it, it can bring me. I know that I feel good. And then you have to keep strong with that inner truth. And then hopefully in time, uh, the healing that he may see in you, that he'll start believing it. And uh, that's really, I guess, the biggest change um, that that could then promote him to be on board. But there's no specific thing you can have him do maybe read about the healing powers of meat, uh, you know, any online videos, that type of stuff. But usually those don't really move the needle much compared to your own journey. I think it's a deeper problem of communication and, you know, or not a deeper problem, but just a deeper issue of communication and support in your relationship. Um, it, there's this, maybe it's something where you guys need to go see a counselor together and say that, like, I'm very concerned for his health. This is something, you know, like he needs to make a change. We have to do something or I need this in my life. This is something that I need and I'm not getting support from him. Like to me, this isn't about carnivore or not. This is about the fact that this is something that's a huge importance for you and your life. And you're not feeling support from the person who's, who's committed their life to you and is in a relationship with you. And so I, I fully think that that's a time when you're having a breakdown in communication, go see a counselor, go see a therapist. And it's more about support and um, trust and respect and mutual communication and less about carnivore. Um, and I think that's likely something else that you should get to the root cause of it, uh, in your relationship. That that's good actually. Yeah. Especially if the husband is more dogmatic or uh, more outspoken and then says this diet is wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Like this is, you need, you need support from your person. And even if they're not fully bought into the diet, like, they should be willing to at least have a conversation about it and to say like, this is what I need. Can you, can you support me and lift me up on that? So how long does it take for somebody to become carnivore adapted? I don't know if they mean like used to carnivore or fat adapted, or just to maybe stop the water coming out your butt. Um, But either way, how long does it take? I, I think with anything, 
One thing I'll say before I let Judy answer is anytime that you ask anybody a question that starts with how long, the answer is it depends. How long till I lose weight? How long before I should start fasting? When am I fat adapted? How long, how long, how long? It depends. Everything that we talk about, if anybody is giving you exact timelines on anything, then they're trying to sell you something because everything is going to depend on what you're coming from, what your personal context is, what your health is, um, and so many, so many factors. So all that being said, how long, Judy, until people are adapted? Well, let me ask you the question. How long did it take you to feel like you were fat adapted? So let's say it's not necessarily just being carnivore, but just where you felt good thriving without carbs. I would say coming from a massive carb um, lifestyle beforehand and like a pure junk food diet beforehand, it was probably a good month before I felt like I had energy before I felt like I wasn't hungry and I didn't need snacks before I felt like my, I could sleep properly at night. I was well rested and I wasn't just like constantly counting down until my next meal. Like when I stopped being hungry, I felt like that's when I was probably fat adapted. And for me, it was a gradual from keto to carnivore. And so maybe going more strict would have helped, but it was probably a month before I just like got rid of that, like dragging feeling. Um, some people can say less, but I think for me, it was, I just had a lot of sugar in my body to burn out. So it took me a while, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I think it really depends, like you said. Um, and I was going to answer it that exact way too. <laughs> have fun. Um, but it, you know, the reality is that it really depends on your metabolic health, your age, how much disease you have, um, imbalances, how much sugar is in your diet. But in general, I recommend people to at least do carnivore and strict carnivore for at least 100 days. And then you can figure out, does this diet actually benefit you? Um, do you do better with a little bit of carbs? But you won't know that answer until you go 100% zero carb. To be fat adapted where it's just my body is very good at um, using ketones. And then sometimes if I have a little bit of sugar, it'll burn the glucose and then go back to burning ketones. I think to really be efficient at that, it could take six months to a year. Um, I don't remember my energy being really great in the very beginning. It might have been because I wasn't eating the right macros. But after a while, it just became kind of like a well-oiled machine. And I don't even remember how long that takes, but it takes much longer. So you'll know though, right? You'll be able to effectively just thrive on ketones, you'll still have days of being tired. I mean, I think people think also if you run on ketones, you're never going to be tired. You're never going to have a bad day. And it's like, right. okay, this is a better use of fuel, but that doesn't mean that it's this magical, you'll never have a bad day. You'll never have a day of being tired. But if you are consistently tired, then I definitely think you can change up your macros. So I'd say give it a hundred days to be fat adapted. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe that's it. Maybe I felt that energy spiked at that point and then still takes you longer before I stopped having cravings is, I mean, we're still waiting on that, but, um, kind of it goes, it goes off and on. It took me a few months before I like started really feeling like I could maybe actually do this long-term. Yeah. Okay, so one question I have is, why are my hands so cold on a low-carb diet? When your hands or your extremities are cold, um, sometimes 
It could be a shift in hormones. It could be nutritional deficiencies. It could also be that maybe your blood pressure is dropping or your blood sugar is imbalanced. So you may want to just check those. Um, if it's not a blood pressure thing, if it's not blood sugar imbalance, then you may want to just check, okay, are you eating enough every day? If you're not eating enough fat, that can affect that. Um, and then some for some people, it's an imbalance with their iodine. Um, I know many people that when they start supplementing iodine, they're like, my hands and feet never get cold. So um, all of these things are something to consider. If you went from like eating 4,000 calories a day, and then all of a sudden you're eating meat-based and you're eating 1,500 or even 1,800, even 2,000, that's a 2,000 calorie difference. It may take your body, your hormones to uh, regulate that. And so for a while, your hands may feel colder. Um, again, it could be affected by blood pressure. And sometimes the blood pressure can be affected by not enough sodium. So you may want to check your electrolytes. Um, all of these things can affect your coldness. If you specifically feel like pins and needles or even numbness on your lips, your hands, that is often related to a blood flow imbalance. And so that is oftentimes related to electrolytes. Uh, one of the biggest things on a meat-based ketogenic diet is that people always say they struggle with electrolyte imbalances. So if you are feeling pins and needles, um, just like cramping in your fingers, you may want to try a little bit more sodium, try some of that Soleil water. And then the other thing is if you're only eating beef, sometimes you get the pins and needles because you have a vitamin B1 deficiency and beef is very low in B1. And it doesn't matter if you're eating the liver, um, all beef is low in B1. So that's where you want to get pork and you may want to get salmon. And those two are very high in B1. Is that why people get like I get I've always been cold since I quit eating carbs and I kind of have this mindset of like your body has to like burn all these fast acting carbs. And so it just kind of runs hotter. So I feel like I'm not my hands and feet necessarily, but like, I just feel like I'm cold all the time. And then that increases when I'm fasting. So I might just be a normal cold. But then when I start fasting for 48 hours, let's say like, I always am just, you know, I live in Phoenix, but I'm bundled up in a sweatshirt indoors and um, I'm really cold the longer that I fast. Is that kind of the same thing? I'm not 100% sure. So I, I would have to look into that. But you're right. I mean, I get cold too. By day two or three, I'm wearing socks, uh, scarf and everything when I fast, like I'm generally warmer on a carnivore diet versus my plant based diet. Um, and that's why people have like meat sweats, right? If you eat a ton of protein, your internal um, body has to break down those proteins into amino acids. But I'm not sure. I'm sure there's a, a big hormonal shift uh, when you're fasting, which will then make you colder. Um, but it is very common to see that people get cold when they start fasting. Yeah, I just have heard people like putting some fear out there about the fact that that's your hormones tanking. And it's a sign that everything's, you know, failing in your body and falling apart. And I don't know necessarily. I don't know if that's true or not. And so it's funny because when we were eating fast food and all this junk food and whether we felt cold or hot, it's like we didn't, we weren't really attuned with our bodies and we never really worried too much about, you know, how our bodies handling foods or the, the lack of nutrition in our nutrient poor foods. And then all of a sudden when we start eating well, now everything is an issue, right? Our hormones are an issue. Um, and it's just, there's a balance with that. I mean, yes, your hormones get affected, your cortisol does increase while you fast, but it's a small blip. And the net positive is much greater when you're fasting. So I wouldn't worry too much about it. Now, you know, in our fasting episode, we've talked about if you're not refeeding well, if you're overly fasting, and then you're overly exercising, those things will all affect one another. And then it can 
um, negatively affect your hormones. But if you're just fasting the way that you do, and it's in a healthy manner, then I think it's kind of normal to have um, cold extremities in your whole body, you just feel colder. Um, And I'm not sure exactly the science, but yeah, it happens. That's so true, though, because like, I think sometimes we get we go from one extreme to the other, or from not caring about anything to trying to then optimize, like, I hate this whole I'm trying to optimize my health. I'm not a fan (laughs) of that phrase. But it's you just people get so obsessed with trying to for everything to be perfect, uh, that sometimes it it takes over your mind. And it's really can end up adding stress to your body because in your whole lifestyle, because you're just trying to optimize everything. When in reality, we're in great health, and you're doing good, things are amazing, and things are better. Um, But stop trying to worry about perfect. Yeah, they say that diet affects a certain percentage, but it's not a big one. It's your genes that affect um, most of your health. So, you know, that's why there's some people that eat carbs their whole life and they live past 100 and they're smoking cigarettes for 50 years, right? We are trying to manipulate a small percentage of our health with our diet and it can affect a lot. But when we try to perfect things and then we're causing increases in cortisol and our stressors in our life, it's just I get it so much. I have so many clients that will be like, is it okay if I eat this? Or is it okay that this is not that? Or what about this? And what about that? And it's just, we'll never know for sure. We'll never know for sure if that particular meat or that particular fish has some kind of toxin and what is it going to do our body. But the bigger picture is that we are eating so much better than we did before. And the smaller things, unless you're really sick and you're not getting better, I think they're just small nuances that you know don't need the attention that they get. Yeah, that makes sense. Absolutely. This was a question somebody asked about if can carnivore lower your sex drive? So this was somebody, she gave a specific age, but I'll just say like in their 30s or 40s, a woman in good health. Um, so pre-menopause, do you think carnivore can lower your sex drive? Actually, I see the opposite. Um, so most women and men, their testosterone goes up a little bit. Essentially, you're eating less carbohydrates and other toxic foods. Your hormones are better able to regulate. And so for a lot of people, their sex drive goes up a lot um, on a carnivore diet. If it does not, and your hormones are still not balancing on a true meat-based diet, then I would look into your macros, your diet, um, how much stress is in your life? Are you eating enough? Are you fasting too much? Are you over-exercising? You know, all of those things. But in general, I think most people would say their um, sex drive goes up. I think there can be a transition if you're in that pre phase of you're not fat adapted yet, you're going to be feeling drained, you're feeling yucky, you might be dealing with some digestive, you know, diarrhea, like a lot of people have in the beginning, and you're not feeling too cute. I think that's a big part of it. I think stress is a big part of it. And I also think I think this was Dr. Fit and Fabulous joked about this one time, but she's like, if you don't use it, you lose it. Like that is a thing. And for women in their sex drive, that's 100% a thing. And like, if you're trying to raise your estrogen levels and increase your sex hormones, a way to do that is to have happy consensual sex, like to have more sex increases your desire to do that. And so it's like when you're out of the routine, when it's, you're out of that funk, when you keep pushing it off or saying no, then sometimes all it does is just make it be easier to say no to that all the time. I find myself that way too. Like you have to obviously be in a place where you can convince yourself to do that. You're like, be in a happy place in your relationship, but be open with your partner. For a long time when our kids were younger, we had to schedule things very specifically. And then when you start scheduling them, then all of a sudden the natural spontaneity of it comes back. But there's nothing wrong with scheduling things 
to get your mindset a little more focused on it and obviously communicate, communicate, communicate with your partner. Like maybe this is something else where you need to have some therapy, have some counseling. You are considered to be in a sexless marriage if you have sex less than 12 times a year. So if you have sex less than 12 times a year, less than once a month, that is considered a sexless relationship. And so to increase that, it's okay to start scheduling those and building up to it and scheduling intimacy times with your partner and maybe go find a therapist who specializes in something like that. Yeah. And even having orgasms, I mean, they release hormones that make you happier. I think one is like oxytocin, which, you know, so I mean, it's a normal part of a healthy relationship. And so yeah, I definitely recommend, um, you know, I don't know where this question is coming from. So if you just don't have a drive and your um, significant other wants it, um, and if you think it's the diet, uh, normally on a carnivore diet, it actually increases. But yeah, definitely. Okay, let's answer some questions that are a little more scientific, a little more nutritionally based. Somebody had asked us a question about butter versus bacon grease for overall best benefits. Like, is is one better than the other um, or should we be mixing it up? Yeah, so this really depends. Um, it'll depend on the sourcing. So is your bacon fat um, pasteurized or is the butter raw versus is it um, ultra pasteurized? So that will all depend um, in terms of quality sourcing. I'm a, a fan of raw butter. So butter has more saturated fat. Um, so if your LDL is really, really high, meaning it's over 500 on a carnivore diet, I would consider bacon over buttered for that reason alone. Um, butter has a little bit more fat soluble vitamins, including vitamin A, but it does have a little bit more vitamin um, e and I believe it was vitamin K. Overall, I believe butter has a little bit more nutrition just because it's a dairy product where bacon fat is more of just a fat. But again, it'll depend. If you were to tell me that you're consuming the most conventional butter, maybe a higher quality pork fat will be beneficial. If you have high LDL, then I would consider more bacon fat over um, butter. Plus, I don't know if there's the dairy element that affects like some people don't react as well. So if it's, you know, having digestive issue standpoint um, might help make a difference as well. Yeah, I have a lot of clients that cannot, I would say more than half of my clients, they cannot tolerate any dairy, but they can do lard. So yeah, that's definitely something if you're having issues, and you've been doing this for a while, cutting out dairy for a period of time can give you a lot of insight into what might be going on. Somebody asked about, well, we're talking about poop. Uh, They said, Laura, how long did it take to improve your bowel motions or to go regular? So I have a, I think they're asking specifically, I have talked a lot in the past about my chronic constipation and hemorrhoid issues. And I have a YouTube video about poop and it's really graphic. If you remember, watch that. (laughs) If you know me in real life, don't watch that video. Um, But I would say, um, a, a month or so for me to move past that. Um, I then dealt with the carnivore diarrhea for a while. Uh, and it took me a while, probably longer than it should have to get through that. If I had known Judy back then, I probably, she would have put me on some sort of digestive enzymes, um, and probiotics. So I could have got through that quicker, but I definitely have that. And then if I've ever had any kind of nuts or carbs or things in the past, um, over the past few years, it takes me a good solid week or so of like back to beef only before I can get things moving again. So that's always been an issue for me, but again, how long it depends context. 
I would say your best way to like really get things moving um, and to move past any constipation or hemorrhoid issues is to go beef only and you will get things moving too much. Uh, and then you can learn to regulate that based on that. So cut out all that fiber. Yeah, always use fat as a lever and then make sure you're getting enough water and electrolytes and sodium and stuff like that. And that should also help too. Yeah. So teeth is actually something, we got a question about teeth, um, which I think teeth in general, we don't talk a lot about on carnivore. It's usually we're talking about stomach and skin and weight loss and hormones, but that's actually a, a been a huge improvement for me. But somebody asked, buildup behind the lower teeth is a sign that your body won't store calcium uh, effectively. What do I do about it? I never heard that before. Yeah, so I actually have a few clients that say ever since they've been carnivore, they get a little bit more tartar on the bottoms of their teeth. Um, so it just feels a lot more grimier. There's like stuff there. Um, so that tartar is basically mineralized calcium and phosphate. And so you have to figure out why is that happening? Um, you have a lot of salivary glands in that area, which then can produce more. But if and that will change your pH, it'll make it more of a base and, you know, all that other science stuff. But the question is, if you're getting more on a carnivore diet um, than a maybe standard American diet, or maybe you didn't notice it on a standard Amer American diet, it may be um, that you are losing a lot of calcium, as this person is saying. Um, a hair mineral test would be really good to see that. If you have excess calcium bleeding out, you may be deficient in vitamin K2. So if you don't want to do a hair mineral test, you can always take vitamin K2. Vitamin K2 basically helps calcium stay in the bones. So there is um, some correlations with people that get a lot of tartar on the back of their te teeth, that there is a higher risk of heart attacks, cardiovascular disease. And so if you're concerned about that, um, you can always take a little bit of K2. That'll help the bones kind of stay, um, the calcium in the bones stay intact. Uh, there's a study called the Rotterdam study, and it showed that 57% had lower risk of dying from cardiovascular disease just by supplementing K2 in a period of seven to 10 years. And then I have clients who have a lot of calcium leaching out of their body because of stress. Um, oftentimes, uh, then they, um, I put them on a K2 supplement. There are meats that do have K2, but if you want a like heavier dose of it, um, sometimes just a temporary supplement and then retesting your hair minerals to see where your calcium is can be beneficial. But I've heard you say before, I think we've talked about it here, but you shouldn't be taking a calcium supplement if your calcium is low. Uh, is that correct? For most people, yes, that's a true statement. So there's, um, and you'll, I'll only know this because of the hair mineral test, but there are some fast metabolizers. It's probably only 15% of the population. And some of them, all of their minerals are low. And so they may be really, really depleted in calcium. And so they should get maybe some bone meal, um, and then maybe take some of that K2. But in general, they may need to supplement a little bit of calcium. They're very, they're a rare breed. But the average person shouldn't, yeah. Yeah, the average person, I would, I am very hesitant about putting people on calcium. I've done more than 100 hair mineral tests at this point. And of the recommendations, I maybe had less than five people take a some type of calcium supplement. Now, I may have said, try to eat a little bit more dairy, have some sardines with the bones intact. But um, yeah, it's like less than five. Well, we have somebody asking about advice for those with no gallbladder. So the fat is uh, really rough on their stomach. 
what should they be doing if you have no gallbladder? Can you still be carnivore? Yeah, my dad doesn't have his gallbladder. And actually, I would say a good percentage of my clients don't. Um, If you have your gallbladder and your doctor's recommending taking it out, I highly recommend changing your diet. Um, I, I feel that a lot of people remove parts of their body that, you know, maybe they don't seem like they're needed, but every part of our body is probably ideal to keep. So for example, with gallbladders, that's where we'll store the ex- extra bile that our liver produces to help break down fat. It's also um, helps to absorb more vitamin D. So those kind of nuances will make keeping the gallbladder really important. But if you don't have it, um, you can try ox bile, which is basically just an animal replacement of bile that your liver is producing. It could also be digestive enzymes. You can try that'll help to break down fats for you. And it really depends. So everyone is really different in terms of why um, they may need support. Let's say they have loose stools. So I would try ox bile. I would try some digestive enzymes. And then um, also some people, it's a deficiency in choline. Even if you're eating a lot of eggs, I'm finding that some people actually need a little bit more choline and that'll help also break down fat. What has choline in it? So eggs have a lot of choline, but um, I've had um, a client where even though he was eating several eggs a day, he was still deficient in choline. And that was what was causing his loose stools, even with taking digestive enzymes and ox bile. So for this particular person, I'd have them start with some ox bile and digestive enzymes, maybe a little bit of hydrochloric acid for their upper stomach to make sure they're breaking it down from up top. Um, I'll put some links in the show notes, but I would start with that. And yes, you can absolutely do carnivore on a uh, without your gallbladder. I was having gallstones. That was one of the specialists I was seeing before I started this. I was having major attacks and I was I had a surgery scheduled to have my gallbladder removed. And then I started keto and turned carnivore and I've had no issues ever since. And so, like yeah. you said, it, even if you're at the point where they're recommending surgery, obviously... I'm not telling you to not listen to your doctor. Medically, I'm not allowed to give you that advice. But what I am saying is that give it some, hypothetically, you could give it some time uh, and you may not need to have that surgery in the first place. I've seen people that once they remove their gallbladder, their health isn't the same. Hmm. So somebody said, I need to lower my blood sugar. I've been ketovore for almost three years, but I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes in January. That's... um, from somebody whose family came, right? My mom, my husband, and I, all of us had my husband and my mom were diabetics. Um, and I was pre-diabetic. I would say whatever the keto in ketovore is, that's the first thing you need to cut. Because my guess is if that's any kind of treats of any kind, if it's chocolates, if it's those things, uh, almond flours, like all those things need to be cut. So I would go more extreme, right? I would go strict carnivore for a while. And also for all three of us from an, you know, Fasting needed to be incorporated for lowering our blood sugar. Um, people like Dr. Jason Fung have books like The Diabetic Code, where they he talks about doing a 36-hour fast. And the first and best way that you need, what you need to do to lower your blood sugar if you're diabetic is to do a 36-hour fast. And it's not until you hit that 24 to 36-hour mark that your body is actually going to start burning out that sugar that's in your uh, fatty liver and burning that stuff off. So especially if you've already been doing this low carb way for three years, my, and I would say just looking at that, the fact that you were recently diagnosed with type two diabetes, um, I would say look into fasting and that likely is the lever that you need to pull uh, as well as cutting some of those things out. But what do you think, Judy? Uh, I agree. So 
If you were diabetic and you were on a standard American diet, I would be a little hesitant about the 36-hour fast in case you get hypoglycemic. But since they're low-carb, I'm assuming they really are eating low carbs. Um, and so then if you're diagnosed with diabetes, um, I would do some 36-hour fast. That would help um, regulate insulin because that's really the issue, right? It's your blood sugar is going up and something about insulin is not making it go back down properly. Um, if you are eating a lot of keto snacks, like Laura mentioned, all of those things would be good to remove. And then if you're eating mostly meat um, and your blood sugar is still high, you may have to switch up the macros. You may need to add a little bit more fat so that your body is using some of the fat as fuel. Um, and then kind of see, um, you want to also make sure that they're checking your blood sugar based on your A1C and not your fasting glucose number that you went in with. Um, that can always change depending on whatever you ate the day before. Absolutely. I think this also goes along with another question that we got that said, carnivores consume a large volume of meat. So what about gluconeogenesis? I recommend watching my interview with Dr. Saives. Um, we talked a lot about that. It's not as much of a concern if you're eating mostly meat-based and your um, and if your blood sugar is going up a little bit. As long as your other markers and these markers are mentioned in these other talks, um, as long as they're normal, so your insulin's normal, your A1C is normal, um, your CRP, all of these, uh, your GGT and your um, and your C peptide, all of these markers are normal. Then I wouldn't worry too much about gluconeogenesis. It can happen, um, especially if you're not eating enough fat. Then your body is forced to use protein to give you energy. So you may have to just change up macros. If you're eating way too much protein than your body needs, that's not always ideal either. So a lot of the stuff, like if you're like me and you're listening to this, a lot of those acronyms Judy listed off, I have no idea what those mean. And that's okay, right? I'm a healthy person. I'm not, I'm not looking into diving into that. If the person who asked this question or those of you that are out there are concerned about these things, this is where you need to go do your own research on that. So watch some of Judy's interviews. She can link things down below. Uh, the interview that she mentioned that would be helpful for you to take a look at that. Uh, and you can go and watch an entire episode um, digging into the things that she just mentioned there. Regardless of gluconeogenesis and worrying about that, I would focus on what you're eating. Check your blood sugar in the morning. Check it um, right before a meal. Check it right after a meal. And as long as your blood sugar is normally within range, less than a pre-diabetic person when you wake up and then before a meal, and then the blood sugar doesn't go up more than maybe like 30 points after a meat meal, then I would be, um, I wouldn't worry too much about it. I think more than anything, that's where you can leverage the intermittent fasting to help balance that out. So if you're somebody like I used to eat one really large meal a day, it was a lot of meat. Likely I did have a blood sugar spike afterwards, but because then I wasn't eating for a long period of time afterwards, it really kept me stabilized um, all throughout the rest of the day. I want to transition now to reading some reviews because you guys are doing great about asking questions in our reviews uh, that we have on Apple Podcasts. So we're going to go through some of those uh, and there's a few more questions. I know there's one in here about SIBO and some other things. So stick with us and we will go through some reviews. So the first review is from Am Beautiful. Grab your steak and listen. I am so glad they started this podcast. It's nice to hear information I want to know presented in a way that makes me feel like I'm part of the conversation. Thought-provoking, entertaining, and filled with data. I look forward to every episode. Thank you. The next one is from S. Manzel. So happy you both started this podcast. I'm really enjoying 
this podcast, both Laura and Judy are so relatable. Listening to their experiences and point of view has helped me so much on my journey on carnivore. I'm feeling a little less lonely than before. I'm listening to you during my daily walks. I met both of you in Austin and really appreciate all of your work and dedication to this community. Thank you both for doing this. Thank you very much for the review. It helps us a lot. And that's what we want. Like go for a walk and listen to this podcast. Hopefully you guys are now outside and walking around and enjoying it. Thank you. Yes. Okay. The next one is from um, CHI76LDO3. To cheat or not to cheat. As I was listening to episode number 14, my Thrive Market order came in with all the gluten-free crackers and salty snacks for my grandchildren who are coming for a visit. Those are much more tempting to me than the sweets. Listening to this episode made me double down on my decision not to cave into temptation. Thanks, ladies. It's interesting, but gluten-free crackers are definitely better than gluten crackers since everyone has some little bit of sensitivity to gluten, but A lot of times gluten-free crackers are just made of GMO corn, so they're not necessarily ideal either. So I hope that these podcasts help you to, you know, stick to meat-based. It doesn't always have to be perfect, but at least, you know, helps you on your journey to healing. Yeah, at least to understand the decisions that you're making and and we're making confident choices in the food that we're making. That's, That's our hope. The next one is from Ginger Snap. Wednesday is my favorite day of the week. I look forward to this podcast every week. I love the flow and how well they mesh. I am learning so much. Extremely easy to follow as they explain things so well. And it's like hanging out with friends that know a lot of really cool things about health. (laughs) Just Judy's the one who knows. Uh, Also, absolutely love Carnivore Cure. Thank you for all you two do to help educate and heal us. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And Laura, I think you know a lot about health. And even like when you're talking about um, how the person maybe need to see, see a therapist or use it or lose it, you know, all of these things, or even knowing how uh, when you start getting cravings for other foods, these are all things that you've done along the process that you've put in the work. Somebody that's brand new to this way of eating may not even know. And so you're helping by bringing up these things with a lot of knowledge. Um and experience. And it's like, oh, is that why that's happening to me? You know, that type of stuff. That's why we're a good team. (laughs) Okay. So the next one is uh, by drums, unique and precision information, you dot, dot, dot. I don't know if that title continues. I said, for me, it says unique and precise information you can't find anywhere. Okay. Okay. Thank you for providing so much valuable info on carnivore and health in general. Could you talk about hydrogen sulfide SIBO and saturated fats bile sulfur sensitivity for someone doing a carnivore diet? Is it possible to stay carnivore with this condition without going to a high-carb, low-fat diet that doctors recommend? Thanks for all you do. I have a interview with a doctor that published a paper in BMC Gastroenterology on SIBO. They did the conventional care of using antibiotics, and they showed the most efficacy um, by using a meat-based diet or a carnivore diet of only meats um, to get rid of any hydrogen or methane SIBO. So they are big fans of using it. Now they did use like nutritional supports. I think they were on some types of probiotics, maybe some nutrients in general. In general, I have I have many clients actually that have or had SIBO and they do carnivore just fine. Um, maybe initially they can't do certain foods. You can always do a low sulfur diet and that would mean, for example, removing eggs, but you can't do low sulfur forever. For example, one of the main raw materials needed to make glutathione, which is the master antioxidant in the body, is sulfur. So we need sulfur to help the body detox. 
So you could do low sulfur for a little bit because you're intolerant to it, but that's a band-aid in the long term. So you need to figure out what's causing that. You may have to remove some of the collagen or any of the the tendons and the ligaments of meats. But in general, you could do it. You could just stick to meats um, and not eat any eggs and then see how that works. Um, you may have to do a little bit of low fat to get to root cause healing, but carnivore absolutely will help with SIBO. And again, you don't want to do low sulfur diet long term because you will not be able to detox properly. So Judy, how long would it take someone to heal themselves from SIBO on a carnivore diet? Yeah, so it depends. Um, it's it's tricky. So some people, it depends on how long they've had SIBO. Is it really SIBO the root cause? Is it because you have um, insufficient stomach acid? That can always, if you think of gut healing from north to south, if your upper GI is doesn't have enough stomach acid, then down south, the small intestine will get impacted. So if we're just focusing on this small intestine, and we're not getting to the root cause of the stomach acid that can impair it, figuring that out may take more time, right? So some people, it's a few months, some people, it's longer, it really depends how long have you had SIBO? What is your metabolic health, your age, all of that stuff will absolutely impact. And then also, do you have any other gut imbalances other than SIBO? And maybe how consistent you are throughout that process? Yes. For somebody with SIBO, I would highly recommend no carbohydrates. Essentially, these um, bacteria overgrowths are surviving off some of the foods you're eating. And if you eat any foods with um, that like hydrogen or produce hydrogen or methane gases, they are going to survive until you rid those. And you could take all the antifungals, the antibiotics, but they will all affect your gut. And if you just eat meat, you could reduce a lot of that toxic load. Yeah. Consistency with everything is usually makes the biggest difference. The next one is from Keto MMR. My new favorite, Judy and Laura are not only hilarious, they are real. They share their own experiences and they are not dogmatic, which is refreshing when so many in this space are. I appreciate the straightforward yet friendly style of their communication. Thanks for the great info, ladies. We appreciate your love for us. Thank you very much. Yeah. And I agree. I mean, I'll just call that out there. I think there are so many dogmatic (laughs) people in this space. Um, one way or the other, right? So you need um, carbs for fiber and there's dogma there. And then there's dogma on the other side of you're not carnivore if you eat XYZ, but diets should be for health and wellness for us to thrive. And I mean, I'm not going to judge you by your color. I hope you don't judge me by what plant I eat or don't eat, right? So this is all about healing. And this is not anything other than that. It's really to heal. And as a community, we can help lift each other up when we need it. Definitely. I I do sometimes think like, who are these dogmatic people that everybody talks about? Because you like, I don't see them as much because I keep myself surrounded. I only consume the content that I want to see in a ways. But I, again, I was scrolling through Facebook the other day and in one of the carnivore groups, I saw somebody post their steak that had some herbs on it. The first comment was herbs are not carnivore. That's not carnivore. Like that's the kind of stuff we're talking about and whether or not it's coming from a name or a Facebook group or anybody like there's just nobody needs that kind of negativity. Some spices are great for most people. And so it's, there's no rule saying you're kicked out of the carnivore club because you're using spices on your steak. Like that's what makes them delicious. And that's what helps me stick to it. So I'm going to do it. Yeah. I saw one and there was one where somebody was just literally sharing their meal and they're like happy to share their steak. And there's a picture of a diet soda. And then I saw, and then I saw there were so many comments. I'm like, Oh, what's going on with this one? And 
people are like, you need to get that diet soda out of your life or you're, you know, basically you're going to die that type of thing. And it was just, I mean, I didn't read through all of it. No, listen, I know exactly what you're talking about. Let me say this. It's in one of the biggest carnivore groups out there. This guy is, nobody can tell if he's like trolling everybody or what, because he usually has this amazing looking steak or carnivore meal. And then he has a diet soda every day. If you're on the Facebook groups, you know what I'm talking about. But he is losing a lot of weight. He's trying to lose a lot of weight. This guy has been consistent for a month. He used to be coming from this terrible diet before he's trying to lose hundreds of pounds. Like, can we just chill out? I know is, is diet soda ideal? No, but you know what? I lost a hundred pounds drinking a lot of diet soda because it kept me from eating Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Is it the best? Is it great? Should I drink it forever? No, but is this guy doing better than he was before? Absolutely. And rather than people supporting him and encouraging him, all they're doing is attacking him because he's drinking a diet soda every day with his meal. I understand that it's not great. I'm not arguing that. But is it better than what he was doing? Is he making steps forward? Is he trying? Is he being more consistent than he ever has been before and losing weight? Absolutely. So can we just like chill out? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. I'll talk about that in a second. But another dogmatic thing I saw is like someone's drinking sparkling water and because it's flavored with a like cherry flavor or something and there's no sugar in it, it's, you know, ha- having to justify that it's carnivore. All of these things, it's just dogma that's nonsense, right? Is it ideal to not drink diet soda? Yes. But as you talked about, I mean, if he's losing a lot of weight and if that's the bridge food that will allow him to do carnivore so that he can get to a place of health and then he can work on, should I try to remove this? But if it gives him greater health and it has good lab markers and his gut health is okay with it, then why not, right? Like overall, 99% of his meals now are meat-based. So don't pick on that one thing. Yes, it's ideal to remove, but if trying to eat just meat with just water and some salt and then that derails him because he doesn't have that either the bubbles or something um, you know the fake sweetener Um, and then that just makes him go back to a standard American diet well that was a waste then right so this is where that dogma I have to cater my message based on my specific client you have to figure out how people are motivated and then cater the message that way And I know that's not easy to do on social media because you're sharing it for everybody, but dogma never wins. Um, When you're first starting, maybe you want to go really strict just to see like where your imbalances are or um, any struggles. But in general, if if a diet soda helps you to eat meat based, then I will support that. I mean, I know people will go, what? How can you do that? But I'm sorry. I just think it's let's be realistic. Right. Um, I'd rather eat um, have someone eat meat based or include that diet soda. If a piece of sugar-free gum after your meal helps you break the fact that you're not eating cookies or a candy bar after every meal, then do it. Yeah, I agree. And I, and it, now if that gum or soda makes you end up binging or cheating, that's a whole different story. But again, if right. it's a bridge food that helps you continue, then I'm supportive of it. Okay, so the next one is by Brenia24. Great podcast. Love these ladies. Enjoy all the their podcasts. So informative and real. Thank you. 
Thank you guys. Those really do help us. It helps us to be recommended. It helps us when you share. So we really appreciate it. It's also a great place where if we didn't get to answer your question today in our little Ask Us Anything episode, then you can feel free to ask them on those reviews and we will happily answer those questions um, or address those topics in future episodes. Yeah, we we really just hope that this podcast will bring you guys support, um, answer some random questions you may have, and then just know that this diet it doesn't have to be perfect. I mean, I am a nutritionist. I care about nutrient density. I know that certain food sources, all of that's really good, especially if you have an autoimmune, if you're sick, if you're trying to get pregnant, there's all these things. But you know what? My mom will never buy grass-fed meats and she has healed her diabetes. She has taking zero medication, has no hormonal imbalances, and she's 70 and she's sleeping through the night. And I will not complain to her that she needs to eat higher quality when she is clearly healing. And so I am just thankful that she is not eating noodles and rice every single day. And for that, I can't complain, right? If she has a little bit of snacks once in a while with a little bit of sweetener, right? Like those keto ice cream bars, and she could regulate herself by eating one bar once in a while, I'm supportive because she... If you saw how she was before with her diabetic meds and her low energy and her edema and wearing two sizes larger than her foot size by the end of the night, I don't care if I'm a nutritionist, doctor, whatever, you you do what helps people get better. And sometimes that may require less than ideal foods, but that's fine. This is real life. Yeah, absolutely. And this is, I mean, I'm never going to buy grass-fed meat either. And I believe that the grocery store meat is the highest quality. So just um, feel confident in the choices that you're making and we want you to do what's best for you and for your health. And we hope you have a good support system and whether that's us or those in your family and that you love and, and people online find it because that does make all the difference. All right, guys, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to share and leave us a review and leave any comments and questions on Apple Podcasts. We will read and answer your questions and comments on an upcoming podcast episode. This also helps us to share our real talk with more community members. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nutrition with Judy, on all podcast channels. You can also follow my content on Nutrition with Judy's Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find Carnivore Cure in paperback, ebook, and audio on Amazon. I also have a blog post and weekly newsletter with nutrition and wellness updates. You can sign up at nutritionwithjudy.com. You can find Laura on Instagram at Laura Eastbath. You can follow along on her daily stories and see some of her funny skits. You can also find Laura on her YouTube channel where she shares tips on living a meat-based lifestyle. If you're wondering how much meat to eat in a day, week, or month, Laura has you covered. She also shares how to make a perfect sear on a steak and how extended fasting looks like in real life. You can find her YouTube channel by searching Laura's Bath. Thanks again for listening to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. And remember, make sure to cut against the grain. Thanks for tuning in to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to share and leave us a review and leave any comments and questions on Apple Podcasts. We will read and answer your questions and comments on an upcoming podcast episode. This also helps us to share our real talk with more community members. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nutrition with Judy, on all podcast channels. 
You can also follow my content on Nutrition with Judy's Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find Carnivore Cure in paperback, ebook, and audio on Amazon. I also have a blog post and weekly newsletter with nutrition and wellness updates. You can sign up at nutritionwithjudy.com. You can find Laura on Instagram at Laura East Bath. You can follow along on her daily stories and see some of her funny skits. You can also find Laura on her YouTube channel where she shares tips on living a meat-based lifestyle. If you're wondering how much meat to eat in a day, week, or month, Laura has you covered. She also shares how to make a perfect sear on a steak and how extended fasting looks like in real life. You can find her YouTube channel by searching Laura's Bath. Thanks again for listening to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. And remember, make sure to cut against the grain. Cut against the grain.